Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Well, at the time of recording this podcast, there was meant to be 102 days to go till the World Cup in Qatar. Turns out it's actually 101. Joining us to explain what on earth is going on, Matt Slater and Joey Durso. I'm Mark Chapman, and this is the Athletic Football Podcast. The 222 FIFA World Cup is Qatar. Come true. Now, are you ready to count down the days? Well, Matt, let's uh, go straight to you on this breaking news today. FIFA set to move the start date of the World Cup one day earlier. What's going on? Well, yeah, left a bit, right a bit. They've already moved it six months. <laughs> well, we'll just, we'll just. I think they're happy now. I think. 100-odd days to go. Yeah, the World Cup was supposed to start on November 21st. Four games, uh, and the actual first game was going to be, confusingly, match number two in Group A. Mm. Netherlands versus Senegal. And then England versus Iran was going in the afternoon. And then we were going to get, I suppose, what the hosts wanted... The big game, their game against uh, Ecuador, Ecuador in the evening. Right, that would be the third game played. Now, they've actually had a little think about it and thought, hold on a minute, why are we going third? We've spent all this money on this tournament, had all this aggravation. Uh, we want to go first. So they've moved it a day forward. So the Qatar World Cup 2022 now starts on November 20th, Sunday evening, and they get their big Sunday showpiece. It means that Netherlands-Senegal does get that nice slot on the, on the Monday evening. England's game's the same. Away we go. So this is Qatari pressure, is it, on FIFA to change it? Well, FIFA aren't going to admit that. I'd be very surprised if the Qataris are going to say that as well. But yes, let's, 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 you know, let's be sensible about this. I think they've all had a little think and thought, hold on a minute. Shouldn't the hosts or the champions go first? Uh, why are we going third at our World Cup? So I think the real story for me is why on earth they didn't do this in the first place, why they didn't do this in the draw. Well, the, how, how, how have they just realised that? I mean, how how in the middle of August when the draw was... Yeah. God, I can't remember when the draw was. Everything was When was it? March, I think. March, I think. It was, it was the spring, yeah. It was quite... It was nice. How the hell have they just realised? Look, I, I don't know, and I can only... my own. The best guess is... 
to do with the entire confusion and the sensitivity around the dates of this World Cup, that they got very fixated on release dates of players, how much time you're giving fans to get there, Qatar wanting an evening slot. I think they, they think they were working off a template that it had to start on the 21st. You had to have this relatively condensed, you know, shave a day or two off World Cup. And I think they've all just sort of sat back for three, four months and gone, well, actually, let's have a look at the ticket sales for that game. They're, they're bound to be nearly all local. Only Qataris and local people want to go to the Qatar game. So we're not really upsetting any fans. You know, let's have a look at player release. Does it does it really matter? Does it, is it going to affect any players from the big leagues getting to that game? No. So I think they've just had a bit more time to actually sort of, you know, stew on it and think, we have to go first and we want to go in a primetime slot. And why don't we just go on Sunday evening? Do you think anybody will push back on this? I mean, I am thinking about quite a lot of people who are going to cover this World Cup, which is a, which is a, you know, it's it's a serious logistical undertaking yeah. for for broadcasters yeah. and media and and I mean the whole shebang around the World Cup is a serious logistical undertaking. Um, it will it will affect people's plans, schedules, whatever it may be. It will. And there's there's inevitably going to be some people who are annoyed by this. And I think you might be right about media and journalists, perhaps who who, who are coming out on, on planes that weekend, will be put out. I, I suspect the real story, well, the real reaction will be a day of jokes about it. Um, you know, have you made your minds up yet? You know, that sort of thing. And are you sure? And then I think we'll just all go... Well, I don't know why they didn't do this in the first place. And it's only a day. And let's get on with it. I, I suppose, Joey, I mean, you were in Qatar recently, which we'll come on to. I suppose what it might lead to is people going, well, what else might you change? What else might you change between now and us getting underway? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And Matt mentioned ticket sales. I mean, it's quite hard to work out how many are being sold. You know, if you just go on the website now and look at it, it will say sold out, last tickets remaining for one of the more obscure matches, but certainly for the big ones, um, it's, it's very unclear to me whether they're sold out or not. Um, event organisers want you to think that you should, if you're even considering it, you should absolutely buy it now. And there's no chance of buying one last minute. You know, you will, you'll see that for every tournament. Uh, you know, I've just been to the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham and I got my tickets a year ago, but there were certainly people who bought them kind of the day before and events organisers will do this and you, you'll pay more last minute, but event organisers will play a very clever game. And if you get it wrong, um, you know, you have empty seats or you have, people who can't come last minute, which you kind of want as a bit of a buzz around the tournament. There'll be people who have never even thought of going who will, um, you know, maybe go to a guitar match because they're excited about it. To an extent, all these things have to be left, you know, a bit last minute. And maybe the even tournament organisers don't know if they'll have full houses. They certainly want us to think they will. What was it like when you went on your little tour? Because Matt was there as as well for the draw and as, as we were discussing just earlier. We'll come back to Matt in a minute. But was it... It's quite interesting for you to go when there's not all the hoopla around it yeah. and stuff being shown off to, to journalists. So how did you find it? Yeah, so I went about a month ago. Um, there'll be a piece up in The Athletic, I believe, this weekend about the stadiums um, which I visited. I mean, the most obvious thing is it's just horrifically hot. I mean, you know, I've never been to that part of the world in the summer before. I've been in the winter and it's quite pleasant. And, you know, it's like a nice English summer's day. In July, it's just it's horrible. You can, can't really stand outside for but more than 10 minutes. You're really conscious of water bottles and you're not straying too far off because you you know it's, it's unsafe really i mean you know <laughs> the sort of 40 degree desert humidity this tournament was initially planned to be in the summer but it's easy to forget but as for the tournament logistics you know it feels pretty ready it feels like they're on track the stadiums are all built they look fantastic um i went in an air-conditioned one which is a remarkable bit of technology there are bits which aren't um 
aren't ready if you if you drive around if you there are sort of building sites everywhere which i was told were they're building kind of drainage streams because one of the big worries about qatar and winter is you get flash floods two or three years ago there was a huge downpour in the space of you know a couple of hours and there was rivers running through the streets um so i think more than the heat that is that is the big worry so they're they're digging these sort of drainage channels along many of the main roads but you know things look pretty good but look pretty on track i don't think you know, there's not going to be an issue of half-built stadiums, which we've had at other tournaments. And a, a serious question for me is whether the place can absorb all these people, because, you know, unlike London or Paris or any of those other cities, it's just not used to transporting around these number of people. I mean, I was in metro stations, which look absolutely amazing. You know, they, they make the Elizabeth line of L- London's new train line look a bit old hat. I mean, they're like these sort of gleaming palaces, sort of so clean that it's almost, uh, there was a kind of, a damaged billboard outside one of them which I took a photo of I was like oh that's a bit weird there's a you know a bit of wear and tear um <laughs> but no one's using them you know no one's using them there's, there's more cleaners than there are passengers um so can the country absorb a million people moving around with them probably um but it's never been tried and infrastructure was a was a concern when you were there Matt I mean there are lots of other concerns and Phil Buckingham has a, has a great piece on all the controversies on the athletic but infrastructure was a was a concern when you were there. Yeah and I and I went in 2019 as well so I saw it slightly earlier on in its journey and it, yeah it is a building site there's a lot going on there and and some of this is to do with Qatar's national project what it's trying to do with its economy what it's trying to do with its society it's just gearing up and the world cup is a great big catalyst for this plan so it's a place in flux. I think Joey is is absolutely right, though, compared to other mega events where you would normally have a series of, of, of big test events or you'd or you'd know a bit more certainty. Well, they've done something a bit like it before. It's the great unknown. And we've never held a World Cup in a city before. This is a city. It's Doha. That's, that's the thing that I think people haven't quite got their heads around yet. Qatar is, a, you, know, you can see it on a map, it's a relatively small country. It's a city. It's Doha. That's where the stadiums are, one end of Doha to the other. And they've sort of tried to build little satellite towns and great big new suburbs, and they're very impressive. But they're new. Based on Matt's story today, just another remarkable thing about this World Cup is, well, now it's 12 days, but before that, the group stages were going to be 11 days, which is Monday till the following Friday. I think it's normally 14 or 15. So there'll just be so much football on all the time, four t- four matches a day. Whereas I think in previous World Cups, it's sometimes been two, three, one or two days of four. But there kind of won't be any time for anyone to think about, you know, logistics. People were going to two matches in a day. Um, whereas whereas in a previous World Cup, you'd fly to, the, you know, Siberia and go to one game in your four days there. Or the, you know, some obscure part of South Africa or Brazil. Whereas now, I guess, you'll go to your England match and then you might just think, oh, hop on the Metro and there's a ticket for Ecuador against whoever. Why not, why not go to that? Which will be a very different experience as a fan, I think. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hi, I'm Danny Kelly. You can join me, Jack Pitt-Brook, and the rest of The Athletic's frankly tremendous team of Tottenham writers twice a week throughout the new season for the View From The Lane podcast. It's the podcast that gives you everything you need to know about Spurs, as well as all the joy and pain of actually following them. Search for The View From The Lane everywhere you get your podcasts and listen ad-free on The Athletic. What about the wider fan experience then? Because from all the... The tour, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to some of the tournaments I've done. Euros in France is, is one that really sticks out of, uh, with a, you know, World Cup in Brazil as well. Fan parks, you know, it's not just about being in the stadium, it's about all those that don't have tickets and all of those experiences and they're rammed. And you, is there any indication those, those normal, in inverted commas, tournament experiences will, will take place in Qatar? Yeah, so there is a big fan park in the middle of of town in this park, which you know I went there and it was great, like a sort of English England in April green park. Um, so God knows how much water they're pumping into that thing. Given if you look at London parks now, they're all yellow because um, we haven't had any rain for two months. These Qatari parks in far more inhospitable conditions were sort of green and and luscious. Uh, there, there, there's a fan park there. I believe they are serving alcohol. And um, they've been having this debate. I mean, Matt might know more about this. Than I do. I, I'm not quite sure what they've come down on in terms of alcohol in stadiums. They'll always say to you, their line is, you know, this is a different World Cup. They're not, you know, you will be able to have a beer, but they're not going to tell you. It'll be like, you know, I went to France as a fan in 2016 and, you know, drinking in the streets with a load of friendly Northern Irish people until, you know, 3am or whatever. It won't be like that. But you can get a beer in your hotel, which will, you know, cost you £11 or whatever. They serve alcohol in hotels. They don't, there aren't pubs, there aren't bars. Um, restaurants don't serve alcohol. Uh, so it will be different. You can have a beer there and lots of people will do, but it won't be like 
other tournaments in that respect. Yeah, no, I completely, completely agree. I think the latest is that there won't be alcohol for sale in the stadiums. Um, there will be these great big fan parks. They did trial those for the Club World Cup. And actually, when I went in 2019, it was it was shortly before that. And that was the one that Liverpool won. And um, yeah, look, they, they're, they're desperate to be hospitable. They're desperate to be to be liked. And that's totally understandable. We'd, we'd be exactly the same. Um, but but they you know they want us to respect their customs right they want us they don't want us to be wandering around with our tops off being boorish and and and, and that's perfectly perfectly fine I'm not sure I want that either so yeah, I think one of the things they learned yeah. from uh, the Club World Cup experience was you need portaloos so I don't think they'll make that mistake again if you're going to serve people beers in fan parks have enough loos so um you know. It's going to be a very different World Cup. Of course it is. In my hotel bar, which was, you know, it's on the top of the hotel and it wasn't just hotel guests. It was a sort of, you know, meeting place in the evening where people from all over would would come for a drink. And I noticed there was sort of rules on the on the wall of the, as you came in, which was sort of, you know, no drugs, fair enough. No toplessness, fair enough. You know, these sorts of things. And then a bit lower down, there is uh, no Qatari ladies as per Qatari law. So under Qatari law... Uh, women aren't allowed into alcohol serving establishments and it also said no um no qatari national dress so the men qatari men wear this sort of whites these whites these impeccably clean ironed white robes everywhere which is what the sort of senior officials of the world cup were wearing you know separate to the migrant workers you know it's very interesting they're very relaxed for foreign men and women to to wear whatever they like and for Qatari men to have a beer in their civvies, but but you know there are very some very different things about how how it works there. Mark, if you're if you're looking for that traditional World Cup experience, I think you have to go to Dubai, right? Yeah. So you have to you have to shuttle in and out of Dubai. <laughs> um, no, some of it I'm not actually. I'm most definitely not. The whole, the beauty of of World Cups is to get lots of different cultural experiences. Yeah. That's that's you know. But then that's easy for me to say as a as a straight white man. Uh, yeah, that's isn't completely it? true. And, and yeah. this is, you know, this is. I remember having similar discussions in the build up to to the last World Cup in 2018. Again, yeah, going to a tournament as a straight white man is a very different experience to uh, if you know I was a, a different race or a different sexuality. Correct. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think you know I spoke to uh, there's an LGBT Welsh group, and that's obviously, it's obviously their first World Cup for 60 odd years, and they're not going. Um, you know, being LGBT is illegal in Qatar. That's a fact. Uh, and and they'll sort of say to you, we want to welcome everyone. There's a sort of subtext that, you know, we're not going to be snooping on people's people's bedrooms or whatever, you know, everyone's welcome. But the fact of the matter is, it, it is, you know, your very existence is, is against the law. So, yeah, I don't want to sit here and tell people I'll chill out about it because it's, it's you know, it is discriminatory. Yeah. And as you say, you know, there were, there were these concerns before Russia, South Africa, other World Cups. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it comes around. It's a, it's a very challenging situation. It's one that I think is on FIFA. You know, if they're serious about human rights, if they're serious about football being for all and being inclusive, then there need to be these criteria set out at the beginning of the bidding competitions. And a few people sort of said to me the same line about rainbow flags or women, you know, things like like dress. I mean, you know, women do dress a bit more conservatively there, and you know, no one's going to arrest you in a fan. But if you go into a mosque in a bikini. Um, you know, that might be a problem. And or if you're, you know, waving your rainbow flag 
outside a mosque, that might be a problem, but it probably won't be in the fan park. And, you know, maybe that's fair enough. Or maybe, you know, why shouldn't you be allowed to do those things about your very, you know, existence as a human being? And is it a problem that a World Cup's being hosted somewhere where these things aren't really acceptable? What are the challenges, do you think, Matt, that the organisers still have when we're at 101? Sorry, I just had to just had to change. My yeah, he's just checked. 101, 101 days away. <laughs> well, look, I think there's ones that are common to every major event organizer. So there's always events. Things can go wrong, as Joey's outlined. I think they're they're well on track with their stadium plan. Um, there are still roads and bits of infrastructure to finish. I suspect they'll get there. I think accommodation. When I was there. Both times, people were, you know, locals were sort of saying, oh, I'm not quite sure we've nailed down accommodation yet. Because because so much about the Qatar project is they have this national plan. They want to take this big step forward. They want to diversify their economy. But they're doing it very quickly. And it's a very small population that's been greatly expanded by this massive migrant worker population. Now, there's no guarantee that those workers will stay. There's no guarantee that the Qataris necessarily want all of them to stay. They will go to the next building site. That's just the nature of it. So do they need all these football stadiums? Probably not. Do they need all these major roads? Not right now, not for the foreseeable, but they've done them. But but there's a lot that they, I don't think, quite want to build just for the sake of uh, three, four, five weeks, whatever it is. So hotels, I think, is the big one. Now, there's various plans. Put them on put them on boats in the in the in the bay, put them in tents in the desert. Yeah, that that will help a little bit. There's no culture of sort of Airbnb yet. Um, you know, the hotels, yeah, they've got some very, very fancy ones, but they'll be bagged by the VIPs and the media. They just there just isn't many beds. So that's that's a problem. And I think that's one of the reasons they're going to try and push this shuttle idea from from D- Dubai and elsewhere. But then, of course, that knocks on, you know, you start asking questions about the environment and what have you. So there are still issues. I think the problem that we were all talking about a year or so ago in terms of their relationships with their neighbours has gone away. There's sort of peace has broken out in the Gulf, which is good, but could flare up again. That flared up sort of out of nowhere. So I think accommodation, local relations and, and just events, something going wrong would be the worries. I was going to say, Joey, did you find a a confidence in the country when you were there? Did you find a, a, a nervousness, a, a panic? What did you find? I think a confidence is, is the right word. And I think you know, Matt found the same thing when he went about six months earlier than me, that they're sort of done apologising, really. They're done self-flagellating and they're they're proud and they're excited about it. And they think it's going to be great. And they think a lot of the criticism is going to sort of fade away when Cristiano Ronaldo scores an amazing free kick on, on day one. And, you know, that's what that's what that will take over. And I think that's, you know, they're confident about that. And I think there's also, you know, an excitement for it to be over that they can get on with things and they'll have built all this stuff and that they can crack on and they'll have shown Qatar to the world. I don't, I think, yeah, they're done apologising. Just away from the World Cup, might as well do one of the other big controversies of the last couple of years. Matt, you've got a piece out oh. today on the European Super League. Yeah, yeah. It's if, For those for those who thought... Which hasn't gone away. No, sorry, I'm sorry to say, hasn't gone away. Or if it has... There's some, there's some, there's people doing some very bizarre things, trying to sort of, kind of pretend that it's still around. Yeah, about three, four weeks ago, the European Super League company, the the company that was going to be behind the European Super League, the investors, the actual sort of nuts and bolts of it, and of course, let's not forget, Juve, Barcelona, and Real Madrid have very much not given up. Well, anyway, they all rocked up at the European Court of Justice, which is the highest court in the European Union. They're sort of the guardians of the EU rulebook, if you like, uh, to say. 
yeah, UEFA and FIFA have, a, have broken European competition law by shutting us down before we started, by abusing their dominant market position. And it's because UEFA aren't even-handed. They're not, they're not this sort of fair, omniscient regulator. They've got skin in the game. They bullied us. They bullied the European Super League. This might sound weird to fans who thought, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> this is all the wrong way around. But the UEFA bullied them to defend the Champions League. And that is an abuse. And that is against... European uh, competition law, in the same way, going all the way back to a very famous European Court of Justice ruling, the Bosman ruling was an abuse of EU competition law. So, yes, I uh, they did two days of that, two days, about nine hours. I sh- it was all available on a stream, like a box set. I watched the lot. I knew you would have done. Yeah, I, I watched, knew you I watched the lot. I've, I've, this, I've half, half of one of these with notes. I'm ready to do my law degree. Were you forensically going through... National League clubs accounts whilst whilst no, watching the live no. stream, no, just but I, on the. But they were they were dropping so many precedents of case laws. I was then going off to see what is the Mecca Medina law. Oh, that sounds interesting. That's all about doping, by the way. And what is Moto E? That was a row between the Greek Motorsport Federation and the government. These are all massively important, Mark. These are these set the boundaries of what governing bodies can do. Anyway, I've written about it. Right, next week should we do a pod on the on that Greek on that Greek? Yeah, Mo- Moto E. Oh, there's, there's there's going to be law law people going. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll use this clip on social media to trail this podcast. That's that's that, a banger that one. That is absolutely Matt Joey. Thank you very much uh, for being on. We'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you. So just 101 days to go till the World Cup and we'll be building up our coverage on our audio platforms and also in written form on The Athletic from the likes of Joey and Matt and also our tactics writer Liam Tharm whose weekly World Cup column kicks off today. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.